0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, this is a a time of year when we have a lot of reasons to be thankful, right? We're right on the cusp of Thanksgiving, and many of you are going to be celebrating that next week. We will, too. But it just so happens that this year we are headed out of town for Thanksgiving and my immediate family. And so we had our extended family Thanksgiving yesterday. So I'm a little stuffed today and I can tell you the turkey is good. It's really, really good. But next week, my family and I are going to be journeying um, to Central Oregon for our Thanksgiving, and we're going to be going over the passes. And this time of year, whenever I have to travel any of the mountain passes, and whenever there's snow, my thoughts immediately go back to something that happened many, many years ago. And some of you have heard this story before, I apologize for the redundancy if you have, but it's just where my mind goes this time of year, especially when I'm traveling in snow. But many years ago, when I was a kid, one of the places that we lived was Medford. And I have two sisters, and my oldest sister was a part of um, uh, Campfire Girls, which I was told is still a thing, still around, still happening. But that was a big thing back then, and, and many girls were a part of it. My sisters were a part of it, both of them. But my oldest sister in particular had a Campfire Girls camp that we needed to take her to. And it was up through some passes there, up by Lake of the Woods, way up in elevation, lots of snow. And we knew that was going to be the case. My dad, because he was a construction superintendent, you know, worked wherever there was work. And in this season, he was commuting weekly to Bend and then coming back on the weekends in order to be with us in Medford. So it was usually, most of the time, just my mom and my two sisters and me. So we decided to, you know, we need to get my oldest sister to this camp. So my mom drove, my grandma came along with us, and it was me and my, my oldest sister. And my mom is a very capable snow and ice driver. She's an excellent driver. She's confident and has good reason to be. She's, she's got a lot of experience with that. And so we thought nothing of it when we jumped into our 1977 front-wheel drive Subaru. Because back in those days, front-wheel drive had just come out on cars, any, any Subaru love here? Anyone own a Subaru? Okay, 10 of you. They're great cars. And we were pretty excited to have this front-wheel drive, front-wheel drive Subaru. In fact, I think we kind of felt a little invincible. You know, we got front-wheel drive. So we were headed up to this camp. And understand, and this is really going to date things, but it is what it is. Understand, there were no cell phones. There was no GPS, no Google Maps, no Maps. There was hard copy maps that you literally had to open up and look at, not on your computer. Computers weren't in existence then either. And when I tell my kids this story, they go, how old are you, dad? <laughs> Gosh, you're a fossil. You're a living, breathing fossil. So all that's in play. We didn't have a map, but we had a pretty good idea where we're going. So we head up into the snow to go find this, this camp, wherever it is. And we see this road that looks like the right road, but everything, you know, is covered in snow. And there's lots of tracks down this road, so we figure this must be the way. So we start heading down this road, and the road gets narrower and narrower, and these other side roads begin to branch off it, and that's where the tracks seem to be going until there's just one pair of tracks that have carved this snow ahead of us. And we came to the end of that. There was another forest service road that broke off, and we could see up there that here was this four-wheel drive with a camper on it, and then it was just snow. So we're, we're carving the road here, and we're beginning to think, this doesn't quite look right or feel right. Have you ever been in that situation where you're driving, you're headed somewhere, and maybe your GPS doesn't work, you forgot your cell phone or whatever, and you begin to get this nagging feeling that you're lost. And you begin to think, this doesn't look right, this doesn't feel right, or Google Maps got this wrong, this does not isn't right and it doesn't feel right. And that's the feeling we began to get as now we're the only car on this road that gets narrower and narrower and keeps going deeper and deeper into the woods. Well, now it's about dusk. And as we round this corner, we literally come to the end of the road. And the reason we knew it was the end of the road was here was a big bulldozer parked at the end that had made the road (laughs) covered in snow. And the road happened to end on this little downhill Decline. So we stop and we think, okay, well, obviously, we came to the end of the road. Obviously, we're lost. My mom in no way was prideful in any of this. When it looked like we were lost, she said, I think we're lost, but there wasn't any way to turn around because the road was so narrow. So we come to the end of the road, and now we're stuck. Despite front-wheel drive, we can't turn around. No tire chains, no flashlight. No food, no water, out in the middle of nowhere, and it begins to get dark. And two things happen up in the mountains when it gets dark. Number one, it gets really cold when the sun goes down. Number two, it gets really dark. We had about a quarter of a tank of gas. And so my mom would start and stop the car in order to, you know, get the, get the heat going and to turn on the heater again, but it was now pitch black. We were lost. And today we start this study in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in this for many months, and I'm so looking forward to this. And as difficult as it is to do, if you had to take a verse out of the Gospel of Luke and say this really captures the heart of what the Gospel of Luke is about, most scholars believe that it would be this verse. If you, As difficult as it is, if you had to choose a verse to really capture the heart and theme of where the gospel of Luke goes, this would be it. And this is a quote from Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, for those of you who want a bigger picture and want to capture more of those themes, we have a handout in the back that shows you how Luke's put together and captures many of the other major themes. But this is one of the central themes, and is that one verse ever loaded with truth. Because it says something about us, but it also declares something about Jesus. It says that we all start out in the same place. Whether we know it or not, we're lost, and we'll come back to that. But what it says about God is, is amazing because it declares that Jesus is God. The Son of Man was one of his favorite Names for himself. Over 80 times, Jesus will declare he is the son of man. It was not a nickname. It was not a profile name. It was a title. And if you have been with us earlier this year when we journeyed through the Old Testament book of Daniel, that's where this draws from. And we'll go to this where it says in Daniel 7, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a... Son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In that little verse in Luke, it declares that Jesus is God. Now, Every major world religion wants Jesus to be a part of their religion. He's in every major world religion. He's an avatar, he's a representation of God. He is a prophet who points the way to God. But Jesus himself declared, I am God. So, how do we know that's true? How do we know what Luke says is real, is is to be trusted, is true? Well, in the ancient world, especially in the first century, when someone was writing something, a narrative, a story, a biography, a, 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 um, a play, in the opening if you want to call it verses or sentences of whatever was being written, they would declare, this is why I'm writing and this is how I've done my research or how I've gotten to this point. And Luke does that here in these opening verses of his gospel. So that's where we're gonna focus today is the first four verses of Luke and we're gonna wrestle with these realities that Luke 19 declares for us. Why should we believe that? Why does that matter? How did this gospel come together? So if you have a Bible... Turn on your phone, turn on your tablet, open your hardcover Bible to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in the very beginning. This is what it says. Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke originally wrote this for Theophilus. We don't know a lot about who this person was, but by how Luke describes him, more than likely a Roman official, probably very wealthy and influential, probably the one who funded Luke's work and the writing of this book. But this isn't the only book in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, that Luke wrote. He also wrote the book of Acts. And Acts opens the same way. It is addressed to Theophilus. So that being what it is, Luke unpacks exactly why he's writing and what he's writing about. And he says this amazing statement in the opening sentence. What I'm about to write to you is based on things that were fulfilled among us, meaning that this is history that's played itself out, meaning that what Luke is about to write builds on the Old Testament, fulfilled prophecy, fulfilled predictions, hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus was born. In fact, Luke will pick up where the Old Testament ends. Do you remember how the Old Testament ends in Malachi the last book of the Old Testament? These are the final verses. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And right after these verses we're looking at today, when Gary comes and begins to unpack for us the rest of this chapter next week, it will start with the birth of John the Baptist, who was the fulfillment of this prophecy 400 years later. Luke literally picks up where the Old Testament ends. And as we get into Mary's song and Zachariah's song, that all draws from Old, Test- Old Testament imagery and it continues throughout the entire book. He's saying, this is history. These are things that have happened and that are coming into fruition. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Luke's gospel, is, is reasonable because it's historical. Because it's built on realities. Because he says he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke, by profession, was a doctor. Do you know any doctors? I I hope you know at least one, that you have one. And think about the personality of your doctor, not necessarily their bedside manner, but, but their personality. Do they like details? Do details matter? You better hope so if they're your doctor, right? With what they prescribe and how they treat you, do they do their homework? By bent and training and practice and disposition, do the details matter to them? Of course they do. If they're a good doctor, you bet they do. And so this is how Luke is, is wired. But if that wasn't enough, he begins to give us some specific historical markers throughout this book next week. When we look at these verses, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, okay. Luke chapter two, when it's talking about when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus, and this happened while Qu- Quirinius was governor of Syria. And then you get a Luke chapter three, and we'll stop here. But look at all the names that are listed here. These are all historical figures. And if you're like me, a little confession here, sometimes I come to these things in the Bible or even the gospel of Luke, and I just kind of read past all those names. Okay, let's cut to the point. But the details are the point these are historical figures this this really did happen this is this is not a fable and so he goes on to say this is an orderly account so as you read the gospel of luke It largely is going to be chronological. But what you need to understand is that in the first century, chronology wasn't the highest value to the writers of that time. That's why when you read the four Gospels, things are described in a different order in Jesus' life, not necessarily because they're following chronology, but because they're emphasizing specific things. And Luke built much of his Gospel off the Gospel of Mark, but a lot of it is original material as well. In fact, a third of Luke, as you're going to see in the months to come, is unique to Luke. The parables and the stories about Mary and Martha, the rich fool, the lost coin, the lost son, the prodigal son as we call that, the persistent widow, Lazarus and the rich man, you know, on and on and on is unique to Luke. And he wrote all this in the way that he did because he wanted this new Jesus follower, presumably Theophilus, to know with certainty that these things really happened. The gospel was rational. It's true. It's built on eyewitness accounts. Luke says he went and he interviewed people. He talked to people who saw the things that he writes about. And what you'll hear, and it makes you know, movies that make a lot of money and sells a lot of books, but it's not real factual, is that well, all this stuff has been made up and over the centuries people added to things or certain kings in history said, this is what you need to believe or secret councils were formed that decided, no, 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 no. This is built on eyewitness evidence. If that wasn't enough, we have copies of the book of Luke that land somewhere within 25 to 40 years of when the original letter was written. There's nothing like that antiquity in antiquity, and nothing has changed. I was talking with this about a neighbor not long ago, and we were talking about, this is known in many circles as text criticism and looking at, you know, how did we get the Bible? And so we're talking about this, and he says, yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe the Bible represents what really happened. I don't believe it's true. I think it was made up. Really, why is that? And he said, well, I've you know done some study and research on that. I said, great, so have I. Let's, let's go there. So what are you basing that on? And he said, well, I just don't believe it's true. Said, so, ah, now we're getting to things. Now we're getting to more the heart of things. See, that's called unbelief. Unbelief is not the absence of information, it is the presence of something else. Always, always, always in the Bible. When unbelief is described, it's not because someone is struggling or wrestling with a a lack of information or really trying to reconcile their mind to what's true, it's because they're choosing not to believe what is true. And that's a whole different discussion. God has seemingly endless patience for people who are generally wrestling and struggling with doubt and, and trying to figure things out. He has limited patience with people who say, I just am not gonna believe that. Because that's not real rational and it's not real wise. Because this gospel is radical. It is a message of hope that is different from every other worldview and every other religion in the world. And you will see this play out as we go through this gospel because this is about an inside out kingdom. All the people who you think would get in are actually the ones who don't. It's the least likely people you would ever think enter the kingdom of God because it is the gospel for all people. And it starts with how this kingdom is brought to us. What we celebrate next month in the birth of Jesus Christ, the historical reality of Jesus Christ. When's the last time you stopped and thought critically about that? If you were Jesus' handler, if you were his agent, if you were his manager, and you're consulting God, which is very weird, but you're consulting with God, and you're his consultant, and he's asking you, how should I come into the world? Wouldn't you say, lightning bolts, these incredible displays of your power, a massive media blitz, a massive online presence, and you need to come to the center of the universe. You need to enter the world in the center of the universe, Gresham, Oregon, right? Because that's where he, you know, that's, that's how we'd coach him, right? This is the center of the universe. How does God... Enter the world as a human being, fully human, fully God. He comes to an unwed, poor, teenage peasant girl in some tiny backwater village in the midst of scandal. An unwed Jewish woman, now pregnant with the son of God? Seriously? Seriously? In an honor-shame society where what kept you up at night was the thought of bringing shame on yourself or shame on your family and this is how God enters the world, a scandal of epidemic proportions? That's what we celebrate next week. Next week, not rather, next month. See, I'm excited for Christmas next week because this is a God who enters into our brokenness and shame. As Matt reminded us at the end of our Philippians series last week, and if you haven't heard that sermon, you need to go back and listen to it, because he reminded us from another letter in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus' very birth and the setting and circumstances by which that happens gives you an idea of how this kingdom is going to work that that God brings. For instance, Jesus will say, unless you have faith like a child in Luke chapter 18, you will not enter this kingdom, which was an astounding statement because, again, in first century culture, children were valued for what they could contribute to the existence of the family. You literally lived hand to mouth and everyone needed to be working for the reality of needing to feed the family so children were valued as labor but they were dependent they were vulnerable for most of their lives until they reached adulthood or could meaningfully contribute to the family they were a liability and for Jesus to say this is how you enter the kingdom of God was astounding women in that culture in a number of cultures still today But in the cultures of that day, had few rights, were illiterate. Their testimony wasn't trusted. And yet Jesus taught women. They traveled with him. They supported his ministry out of their means. And we see so many of his female disciples so courageous, so faithful, so wise, so godly. By way of example, in Luke chapter 24, who were the first ones to come to Jesus' tomb and to believe in the resurrection. It was his female disciples. These courageous, willing, wise, faithful women who put their lives on the line to go really see if that tomb was empty. It's remarkable. And on it goes. Who enters this kingdom? Prostitutes. Samaritans. Enemies of the Jewish people. Roman centurions, which... By our equivalent this last century, akin to Nazis, the Gestapo, bloodthirsty, ruthless, hardened, and yet choosing to turn from that brokenness to God, liars, lepers, tax collectors, traitors of their own people, speaking of which... Zacchaeus you remember the song that you sing Zacchaeus the wee little man wee little man was he climbed up the sycamore tree so Jesus he could see oh people you need to go to camp more <laughs> some of you are looking at me like what is that my attempt at singing but also a cute little song that talks about the reality of Zacchaeus a tax collector a chief tax collector had everything we would say is at the heart of the American dream he was rich he was influential he was respected reviled but respected and everything that so many of us are told we need to strive for, and yet he climbs this tree in order to see Jesus. And as we read Luke 19, he, Jesus sees him, tells him to come down. We're coming to your house. We're coming over to eat. Has a party. Somehow this man turns from his brokenness, realizes he is lost, And enters the kingdom that day. And that's when Jesus says what we just read to start this sermon. Today's salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Because you see, this this gospel, it's remarkable. There's no other message in the world like this. Because the least likely people can enter the kingdom of God. Everybody. This kingdom is accessible to everybody. And interestingly enough, it's not the religious people who entered the kingdom of God, it's the reasonable ones. The ones who admitted that they were lost. Last week as we closed out the book of Philippians, Matt reminded us from that amazing letter what the source of true contentment is. Because once again, to remind you and me, contentment is kind of a secret because it's not readily obvious and it's not found in plenty or abundance. Our deepest need for contentment, for joy, for peace is not going to be found in a Black Friday sale. You can't get it online. It can't be delivered to your door. You won't find it under your Christmas tree next month. You'll never find it by a however much you can accumulate in your banking account or savings account. It's not found in your health. It's not found in other relationships. It's not found in a marriage. It's not found by what you do or all that you accomplish. Contentment, joy, fulfillment is only found In Jesus Christ, you have to let him find you and that is what's remarkable about this gospel and one of the many things that differentiates it from every other worldview, every other major religion you're gonna hear about out there and it's this. Religion says you seek God. Christianity declares God has come seeking you. He pursues you. He comes looking for you. Because we all start out in the same place, lost. Just like my family and I were lost on that mountainside. So here it is. It is pitch dark. We can't see anything. We're starting to run out of gas in our car. We can't keep turning it off and on. We're cold. I'm 6 years old. I'm scared. My mom and my grandma between them find a big lighter. And my grandma and my sister decide they're going to go hike back up the road to try to find help. And so they'd walk every 10 feet and flick on this lighter to see where they needed to go, and then they'd walk another 10 feet, hoping that that lighter would not run out. They managed to find their way back to that last road, if you'll remember where there was one pair of tracks that led to a four-wheel drive with a camper. It was a couple hunters who happened to be in the camper when my grandma knocked on it that night, some hours after she had left our car. And they came looking for us. And they hooked us up to their winch and they pulled us out. Can you imagine... When they came to us, if my mom would have said, We're not lost, we're fine, we're good. When they came looking for us, but isn't that what we do? When we tell God, this God who comes looking for us through Jesus Christ, I don't need you, I'm good. No, things are fine. I'm happy, I'm fulfilled. And even if that is true, even if you truly are happy and fulfilled without Him, you're settling. You were settling for far less than what you could have through knowing Jesus Christ. See, there are some of you here this morning who, you know, you're lost. You've embraced that reality. And God has found you because when He came looking for you, you responded. And you said, yes, yeah, I'm lost, and I need you. I want to be happy. I want to have joy. I want to have peace. I want to have hope. I want to have a future. But following Jesus is a constant reorientation of our hearts towards him. And even though you're no longer lost, you can begin to wander. And this God loves you too much to allow you to do that. He will call you back once again to follow him. Some of you aren't there, but you have this nagging feeling that, you know, maybe there's something to this. Because as I look at my life, I know once again that I'm gonna go through Christmas and I'm gonna get stuff and I'm gonna do all the things that this culture says will fulfill me and make me happy and give me contentment and I'm gonna be empty by January 4th. Right back where I started, only with a bunch of bills to pay. And so it goes. This morning... I don't want you to just take my word for it. Absolutely, you need to take God's word for it. But I want you to hear from some other lives as well. Because in the Bible, it says that when someone chooses to follow Jesus, when they understand and realize their loss, and they respond to this God who comes looking for them, who wants to love them and redeem them and restore them, and give them joy and hope and contentment, when someone does that, the Bible says, get baptized. Get baptized show publicly that this change has happened in your life. And baptism captures the reality and the imagery of someone who, before they know Jesus, they're trapped in their brokenness and loss, and when they come up out of the water, it's symbolic of that they've been washed by what Jesus did for them on the cross, and now they have a new life, and now God himself lives inside of them through his Holy Spirit. But don't take my word for it. You've got to hear these stories. So this is how this is gonna go. We're gonna show you some video stories, life stories of folks who are getting baptized in the other services this morning because we have people being baptized in every service. So you'll get to hear those stories and then we're going to have some actual baptisms happen here during this time. And I want to encourage you, you can clap, you can applaud. This is something to celebrate together. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.